The following is a continuation in our series looking at how God uses us to help one another. We hope you enjoy. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. And we ask that you would please be with us, Lord, as we consider how much help we really do need tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever been overconfident about something? (laughs) Overconfidence has great dangers. Overconfidence puts us in a place where we think that we have everything under control. It makes us feel like we're in a better spot than we are. Makes us feel like we don't need help when we actually do. Just a couple examples of people that were overconfident. Get Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. He didn't realize the danger he was in. The ring had great power over him and he did not realize just how bad things were for him. It enveloped his life and sent him into chaos. Another example, have you all seen the movie Top Gun Maverick? Yes, sir. Okay. I love this movie. There's one particular scene where Maverick takes this hotshot group of pilots on this training mission, and they're all super, super overconfident and super cocky, and they think, this old geezer, he ain't got nothing on us, we're going to take him out and be home and enjoy ourselves. And then Maverick proceeds to humble them greatly. Over the next few days, he makes it very clear that he's a much better pilot than them, and that they need a lot of help from him in order to prepare themselves for the mission that they're going on. They need to find ways to work together rather than individually. I think when it comes to our faith, we can also get a little overconfident. We can often think that, you know, I've got things under control, and that, you know, I really don't need other people's help because I want to make the decisions, or I want to do what I think is right for me, which can lead us in some directions that are unhelpful for us. So, first and foremost, we need help from the Holy Spirit, but we also need help from each other. So God provides us with the Holy Spirit, but he also provides us with each other. So if you're taking notes, here's our overarching theme, that overconfidence makes us ripe for spiritual warfare. Overconfidence makes us ripe for spiritual warfare. And what I mean by that is that the more we think that we are secure in ourselves, the more Satan's going to look at that and be like, hey, I'm going after them. He wants us to be in that place where we're depending on ourselves. So, our two points for tonight. I hope you enjoy this. One, we're a hot mess. Two, hot messes need each other. So, we're a hot mess. Hot messes need each other. So, let's look at Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at 10 through 18. Yeah, Caleb, if you'll read that for us. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So overconfidence is going to blind us from seeing reality. If I tell you that I'm so confident that I can throw a football 100 yards, y'all should laugh at me. Because that's relatively physically impossible. Okay, I could practice, but I guarantee you I can't. So the longest recorded throw in NFL history was actually an incomplete pass by a guy named Baker Mayfield. And it traveled 70.5 yards in the air. It's a long throw. Okay. And y'all have seen me throw a football. I can't throw a football to save my life. Meaning, 
if he can't even throw it 100 yards, how could I, who has no training, who has weak arms, and who can't throw a football... How many people have gotten hurt or even gotten themselves killed thinking they could accomplish something when they were ill-prepared for it? Maybe they thought that I can leap over this gap. I can jump down from this certain height. Whatever it is, so many people have gotten themselves hurt because of overconfidence. Romans 3, the passage that Caleb just read, makes it very clear to you and me that there is zero wiggle room when it comes to our faith. To be overconfident. By no wiggle room, I mean this. Look at verse 10. What does it say? None. None is righteous. No, not one. As much as we want to try and get around that, we can't. It's very clear. There's zero chance that anyone can be righteous on their own. Okay, Everything about us has been affected by sin. This is our doctrine of total depravity, which describes how every part of our being has been affected by the fall. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we possibly can be, but it means that every part of us, our mouths, our feet, our hands, our minds, our spirits, they're all affected by sin. There's no part of us that's not affected by sin. Look at verse 13 and 14. He talks about their throats, their lips, their mouths. So our words and our desires naturally are going to be affected by this. Verses 15 and 16, he talks about our feet, which is essentially describing our actions, the things that we do in life are going to be affected by sin. And all of this culminates, and we didn't read this, but I'm going to read it for you. In verse 23, when it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have a big problem, okay? and we have a great need, and we can't provide for that need for ourselves. As much as we want to or think that we can, we can't. Which means there is no room for us to be overconfident with our faith. Now look at verse 24. Okay, we didn't read this, but I'll read it for you. God graciously gives us exactly what we need. So we think we've got life together. The Bible tells us that we don't. Verse 24 says, And we are justified by His grace as a gift. Now, if someone gives you a gift, what does that tell you? Okay, it means that you didn't really do anything to deserve it if it's a gift. If someone gives you something as a gift, so if I'm giving Caleb this clicker, Right? This is a gift to him. Okay? And he has to receive that gift. Now, there's always a chance that Caleb did something to pay me for this or whatever. But a true gift is a gift that's given freely. It's not something that has strings attached to it. And the gift that we have in Jesus, the fact that we're justified by grace in his sight, that is a gift that has no strings attached. He's saying he loves you. He wants you to be part of his family. And he's bringing you into that family. And as we just read from Romans 3, there's nothing we did right in order to get this gift, but he freely gives it to us. I read a story this week about an older guy who was a farmer, and he had a surgery much later in life, and the nurses told him that there were certain breathing exercises and tests that he had to do after this particular surgery. And sometimes when we get older, we get a little stubborn. And we choose not to listen to advice. And this particular farmer thought to himself, you know what, I've gotten through life this many years and I've kind of done things my way. And who are they to tell me that I'm going to contract pneumonia or something like that? So you can probably tell where the story's going. He chose not to do these breathing exercises. And the nurse, after he died, said that that is what led to his demise. He was so stubborn and overconfident thinking that, you know what, I don't need the help of others. 
I don't need the help of this nurse. God forbid, a nurse. How would they know better than me, right? It's foolish to think on those lines, but how often do we think we know better than other people? And how often do we do that in our faith, thinking, you know what, this person, they're giving me advice. Who are they to tell me that? Or who are they to tell me that the choices I'm making aren't helpful for me or the things I'm doing aren't helpful for me? But we really do need each other. God gives us the tool, right? He gives us justification, but he also gives us each other to help us and to point us towards that justification, to point us towards the salvation that we have and to remind each other just how much need we have. Again, if we go through life thinking that we've got everything in the bag, then we're in danger. Satan's really going to want to come after us hard. So he gives us the tools and he gives us each other. So second point for tonight, you know, we are hot messes, but hot messes need each other. So let's read Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. And Caroline's going to read that for us. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we just read that Jesus provides more the great need that we have, and that need is that we're not righteous, can't do it on our own. He provides that for us. It's that gift that he just talked about. He also gives us each other. He gives us the church. He gives us other brothers and sisters in Jesus to help. Because oftentimes we don't see our own blind spots. That's why they're blind spots. You don't see them. Unfortunately, but really it actually is fortunately, people around you see your blind spots better than you do. And that involves a lot of vulnerability because you don't like people seeing your weaknesses. But sometimes it really takes somebody outside of yourself to see the things that are unhealthy for you and to see the things that are unhelpful for you. Just like it's always good to have an extra pair of eyes when you're looking for something, when you're doing some sort of puzzle, when you're reviewing like grammar, like it's always good to have multiple sets of eyes on these types of things. Same goes for our spiritual life. If we just think that, oh, you know what? I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all these things. And those are good things, but we can't do those alone because we need accountability and we need help. I know it might be hard for you to truly see the importance of this because you're young, you're energetic, you got the world on your back and you're doing wonderful, great things. But hopefully the older you get, the more important this will be to you. I remember being young and foolish, thinking that I didn't need old people. But I think, who are these old people? They don't know any more than I do. That isn't anything but the truth. Some of my closest friendships are people that are older than me, and I greatly appreciate those because they can see things that I can't. I'm hoping that as we talk about this this semester that you see that as well. There are people in your life, and there's going to be more in the future, that know you possibly better than you know yourself. And again, this could be a really scary thing, because we don't like vulnerability, we don't like weaknesses. And you may not like this, but your parents probably know your faults and struggles better than you. And they're willing to call you out on those things. And nobody ever likes that, right? But is it for your good? Absolutely it is. Your teachers know more in the areas of education than you do. So sometimes when you think it's the teacher's fault, whose fault is it really? Let's just be honest. It's probably your fault. Okay? And they're willing to help you. Now, yes, there are bad teachers out there. And yes, there are teachers that are grumpy, right? But no teacher goes into teaching, not for the money, because there's no money in that. They do it for love. 
And they do it because they care for people. They want to teach people. So for us to just assume that the teacher is out to get us, it's foolish. They are there to help you. Your friends have probably seen you at your worst, and they've seen how awful you can be when you're mad, cranky, or upset. They can see that when maybe you can't. Do we like any of this? No. Let's go through each of those real quick. Your parents have wisdom to share and can help you with your faults and struggles because they themselves grew up with faults and struggles, and they know what it's like to go through those things. Again, with teachers, despite what you think, they're not the enemy. I've been doing this long enough to know that most of the time when people say it's the teacher's fault, it's really the student's fault. Your friends, though not 100% mature to mentor you, they can still at least give you insight on, hey, you really blew up on them and that was not cool, right? Or those words you used were hurtful or whatever it is. They can still help you in your struggles. Verse 12 in the Hebrews passage says, Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So as the hot mess that we are, we need each other to see evil in each other's lives. And I think we are so afraid as human beings in 2023 to actually label things as evil. And I hope you understand what I mean by this. Too often we want to kind of downplay those things as like, you know, that's just a personality quirk or it's just like a simple struggle or someone's just having a bad day. No, there are things that are absolutely evil. And we need to be willing to actually call those things evil. So if I come in here and I'm having a rough day and I absolutely just blow up on you and start throwing things, like, that's not okay. And that's evil. That's an evil action on my part. And hopefully somebody will call me out on it. Please do. If I come in here yelling and screaming, please call me out on it. Evil is evil and too often we try to sugarcoat it. And I think the reason that we do that is because we're too afraid to live by the principles that the Bible is telling us to live by in regards to community. We have this great need, we're giving each other, but too often we don't know how to navigate that with each other. Too often we don't want to get into an awkward conversation or an awkward situation, and we'd rather just pretend like it didn't exist. But God calls us to live with one another, to encourage, to uplift, to call out, and to urge one another in our faith. And all of this is meant for your good. It's a, actually a really beautiful thing because we so desperately need it. I don't know about you, but the harder I try to live faithfully by myself, the worse off I am. I do that a lot better when I'm doing it in community. I've been thinking about this a lot the past couple of weeks because I listened to a podcast about this. I was talking with Caroline about this on Sunday night. Do you all remember the cave rescue that happened in Thailand a couple years ago? Have you all ever heard like the details of that story? It is mind-blowing and fascinating. So there were 12 boys and their coach that went into this cave. A monsoon came out of nowhere and flooded the cave. And they were essentially trapped inside this cave for 18 days with no food and no water. They were stranded inside. They couldn't go anywhere because all the caverns and stuff had flooded. Thousands of people were involved in the search. It all seemed hopeless. Divers were having to dive through these really tight areas. I saw some graphics this week that kind of showed what it looked like. So there were points in this cave where the divers actually had to take off their equipment underwater, push it ahead of themselves just so they could squeeze through and get to the next area. I'm a bit claustrophobic. That would do me in. Like, I could never do what these guys did. On top of that, the water was muddy. They could barely see in front of themselves. And then on day 10, like, think about that. Day 10 of these kids being in a cave in the pitch black... 
Two British divers named John Volanthan and Rick Stanton found an opening in an area where they could come above the water, and they found all 12 boys and their coach still alive. Now, that's exciting. That's a miracle in a lot of senses. However, they realized very quickly that even though they had found these kids, it was almost impossible to get them out alive. And here's why. Okay, again, this is amazing. The boys' families were incredibly excited. But as these two divers swam back to the mouth of the cave, this hopelessness fell over them because they realized that the chances of these boys surviving is almost zero. And the monsoon was not stopping, so the rain just kept coming. So it was just getting worse and worse. Just to swim to those boys took four to five hours for each diver. I don't like being underwater for like five seconds. Okay, so I would have died. I'm just going to be honest. I would have died. I would not have survived. So it took four to five hours to get to them. It would take another four to five hours to get back to the front of the cave. They were 2.5 miles into this cave when the floods came. And again, it was little tiny crevices getting in and out. They were so worried about getting these boys out because it's not like you can just hand a small child scuba equipment and expect them to swim for four to five hours. It's just not going to happen. So what they had to do, they were expecting tragic results from this. And I share this with you because the excitement of knowing that the boys were alive was great. But there were two people who knew just how much help was actually needed for these kids. Everyone else was excited. They were trying to figure out ways to get them out. But these two guys looked at this situation and said, I don't think anybody else in this room really knows just how dangerous and how much help is going to be needed for these kids to get out. It wasn't as simple as they seemed. So these two divers, these two British divers, came up with this plan, one that nobody wanted and nobody expected. I'll try and summarize this. They actually had to give them anesthesia to get them out. They actually drugged these kids without telling their parents, without telling the outside world. They brought in this rescue diver who was also an anesthetist, and he essentially came up with this concoction of a certain drug where they would get these tight-fitting masks and put them on so that they could breathe while they were out cold. And they would drug these kids one by one, and one diver would spend the next 11 hours swimming, essentially a lifeless body, out of this cave. And on top of that, they had to keep drugging them periodically along the way just to get them out. And miraculously, all 12 of those kids and their coach survived. There was no reason for this to happen. I think the expectation was 80% of them wouldn't make it out. But all of them did. In fact, there were only two deaths. They were both divers. One was a freak accident. One died much later of an infection that he developed. But I share that with you because none of those boys would have looked at that plan, and I guarantee none of the parents would have looked at that plan and said, yes, that's the help they need. I'm in. But these experts, having swum in caves numerous times, having done numerous rescues, they realized that there was a certain type of help that no one understands. And I'm going to use my expertise to speak into this. And that's, that's similar to the way that God uses us. We go through different experiences. We go through different trials. We go through different things. And the Lord actually uses those things in our life to speak to one another, to share with one another. These boys survived because someone was bold enough to step in and say, there's a specific type of help, and I want to work to make that happen. 
Super dangerous, but they did. And I think too often we as Christians, we don't like to think in those ways. We don't like to think about ways that, that maybe God can use me to help somebody. I think sometimes we're just too afraid. But it is our responsibility as Christians to live in a space where we can actually be that kind of help for one another. Now, I hope and pray that you're never caught in a cave and Austin doesn't have to come and rescue me or, or Caleb or anybody, right? But we do go through really hard things. And my hope and prayer is that y'all can be a support to one another and an encouragement to one another. And if it comes down to it, being willing to like call each other out on nonsense, if necessary, because overconfidence makes us ripe for spiritual warfare. Satan looks at us when we think that we don't need anybody else, and he says, I'm going after that guy, or I'm going after that girl, because they're in this place right now where I can easily tempt them, and I can easily bring them to sin. Paul David Tripp writes, so I mentioned the book, Instruments in the Hands of a Redeemer, last week. He writes this, He says, we need to live in a humble, honest community with one another where personal ministry is part of our daily culture. And we need to do this humbly. We need to do this in a way that is loving and respectful towards one another. But we need to do it. Because we all need help. But we also know how we can help. Because God has given us different giftings, different strengths, and different experiences. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in small groups. But before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I ask that you be with us as we go to small groups. Lord, help us to better understand just how much help we need, Lord, and how much we need each other. And we ask that you would help us to be a place that lives by that principle, Lord, that we want to be part of each other's lives and help one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WIM.